Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park In Colorado, you can legally gamble in Blackhawk, Central City, Cripple Creek, and licensed online sports betting. Protect our communities. Learn more at playlegitco.com. A message from the Colorado Division of Gaming. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Parking's pretty tough there in Houston. No, it's just the plaza for the pharmacy job where I work. It's just the the landlord's a jerk, and like all the people he convinces to rent space with him are also jerks because <laughs> like it's just a it's just a lot of limited parking space, and everybody has customers, and everybody will park in our spots, but then they they get mad at us when we park in theirs, so it's just no one's happy. I understand how that goes. Uh, yeah. So a little background on me, real quick. Uh, I work for. Radford University uh, here in Virginia, and I guess it's the same thing as every at every other university. Parking is just a complete nightmare. <laughs> I mean, you got to pay yeah. to you got to pay to park on campus, and mm-hmm. you it's basically a lottery if you get lucky enough to actually get a spot. So it's one of those mm-hmm. type deals. So I can just imagine what it's like at other universities. And I'm at a smaller university too, so. Yeah, no, they uh, they find a way to turn it into a business, and you're like, all right, this mm-hmm. is just yeah. Like, there's a, a couple parks around where I live, and normally parking is free, but they when they started renovating all the lots, there are paid now, and you're just like, okay, you know, sure. <laughs> Do I mind spending three bucks every time I want to hang out on a Saturday? Probably not, but it's gonna add up, you know, if you're not careful. Exactly. So, well, yeah. let's let's get into your background though. So, parking and. Might start up some conflicts here and there. So you're a conflict, <laughs> you're a conflict resolution coach. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, you know, the, the journey to that involved a couple of different pivots. Um, one, I initially, when I was in college, I, I thought I would be pre-med, uh, like most Asians, you know. And then <laughs> um, when I got to see in organic chemistry, uh, I thought life was over. I just thought, oh, well, so much that i guess will just you know be a bomb or something you know i gotta figure out something else to do um still wanted to do healthcare, so uh convinced pharmacy school that i would make a good pharmacist um and you know i i did enjoy the work actually at least i enjoyed the the subject knowledge and such but you know it wasn't my first choice for sure 
Uh, not that, you know, I've learned, the more I learn about, you know, practicing as a doctor, you realize there's a whole side of things that you can only uh, appreciate once you're actually practicing as a doctor. And there's a lot of work you don't realize until you're actually doing it. And it's like, oh, this is what I signed up for. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, so been practicing as a pharmacist for, for 16 years, but in the middle of that career journey, uh, realized quickly that, yeah, I, I, I had a lot of growing up to do. Um, my mom felt that working for a chain pharmacy was the best and most secure job option right out of school. And so she insisted on it. And, you know, I didn't have the energy to fight her at that point. So I was like, yeah, sure. Let me just go along with this. And so initially hated it, went through a period of about maybe almost two years where I was actually at a store that offered me uh, flexibility and scheduling to the point where I was afraid to leave because I knew like if I left, I wouldn't have that again. But then I lost it anyway, because I transferred to a different store that where I was unhappy with my hours again. So uh, about 11 years ago, between, you know, uh, being unhappy with hours and work stress and customer service incidents, I, uh, I ended up leveraging my network to get a job teaching job at a pharmacy consulting company, which is what I, I moved to Houston for. And 11 months later, got fired. Oh, shit. And it was just like, no, it's my fault. Oh, <laughs> you know, I tell people, I'm like, no, I, I like the idea of being an instructor more than actually doing the work of being an instructor. And uh, you learn quickly, you can't be everyone's friend. You can't be students' friends if you're you know, a professor or an instructor. There's just a level of professional distance you have to keep um, you know, in order to maintain some credibility. But anyway, all that to say, um, then that's where the career roller coaster got really weird. And I ended up at an independent pharmacy job where I was filling for crooked doctors while four of my paychecks bounced. So that was a wake up call as to the harshness of reality. Um, ended up at another job. Uh, my friends got me out of that situation to another company that was better, but uh, financially still, um, you know, unstable they said hey we like you uh but we can't pay you more than eight hours a week and so i said okay uh not enough to <laughs> not enough to pay rent and groceries so what do i do and um i end up uh finding more hours by working for them in austin which is about two and a half hours away i have no idea what my life is going to look like at this point um I, that summer was probably one of the key turning points where some friends of mine who work for a pharmacy nonprofit and leadership asked me to help facilitate one of their national meetings, just because I was already facilitating on the fraternity side, but not actually on the leadership nonprofit side. And so, of course, I took the chance and something about teaching leadership um, kind of unlocked a, a mental switch in my head and said, you know what, maybe I could actually be good at this leadership thing. And so when the opportunity to take on a full-time position back in Houston opened up a couple months later, I took it and proceeded to try, struggle, fail, uh, largely because I wasn't willing to confront or, you know, deal with conflict in a, in a productive way. You know, like when my boss is writing me bad checks, I, I'm not like, I'm just getting mad. I wouldn't tell him. I'm like, hey, boss, like what's going on here? Yeah, you right? Like him, I just right? didn't know how to have the courage. And then uh, same thing when I would have technicians that weren't pulling their weight. And so at one point, uh, management wrote me up because they said, Hey, we're not happy with the way you're dealing with problematic technicians. Uh, they are a problem, but they're not the only problem. You're gonna have to take care of this. Um, all that to say, right. Uh, leadership saved my career. You know, the only reason I have job options in pharmacy now is that I, uh, I took on the challenges of leadership. I have leadership experience now, but, um, 
I got tired of chasing scripts. I got tired of dealing with insurance companies, you know, dictating, you know, money and uh, reimbursement, things like that. Uh, and so I'm still making work as a finding work as a pharmacist, but, you know, um, four years ago when my previous employer went under, I said, well, you know, I want to do something different. I'm tired of chasing scripts, tired of dealing with insurance, but, uh, I said, but I love teaching these leadership workshops. So, um, what would a career in coaching and facilitating look like? And so, um, tried and learned and did what research I could, uh, but I didn't have the guts to actually open my own LLC or business until the pandemic hit. And so I said, okay, how much longer can I afford to wait? And so, uh, niche down to conflict because that's basically what I've dealt with on every level, whether it's in a professional setting where I've had to fire people, uh, I've dealt with it in a volunteer setting where at one point when I was a church class director, um, my second day on the job, I found out that a newer guy was sexually harassing women in the class. And they're like, Jerry, you got to handle it. And I'm like, you didn't give me a manual, right? They're like, yeah, I don't know how. Right. And then, uh, yeah, at one point I had to evict the roommate as well because he defaulted on his lease and basically just banked on the fact that I was too nice a guy to actually kick him out. And so that was a learning experience. So basically, whether fairly or not, all my friends are saying, Jerry, like it's right in front of you. Conflict is, you know, it's, it's, it's your specialty, whether you realize it or not. So, uh, you know, that's, that's basically what I've embraced to say, Hey, you know what? Okay. I've been through some stuff. Let me help other people deal with similar challenges so they can have a, a, a greater chance of success without having to maybe skin their knee so many times. Man, that's, that was a lot to take in right there, bro. <laughs> but, yep. but what I was thinking the whole time while you were talking is that it was almost that all these, well, I want to circle back and dive into some of those, uh, of topics there, but, um, it's almost that just exactly what you just said, that all those experiences in your life and everything has set you up just to maybe work mm -hmm. on your mindset and strengthen your mindset and, and mm -hmm. get, go into this position, just like you said. And actually, you know, no, no one likes conflict and, or I don't think no, I mean, only monsters do, I guess. And, you know, no, <laughs> yeah. and nobody, yeah. you know, no, nobody, you know, I try to style or shy away from confrontation too. I mean, you know, no one wants to be mm -hmm. the bad guy, but mm -hmm. there's certain positions. Like if you're in, like you just said, a leader leadership position where if you, win and slash if you have to fire somebody it's going to happen mm. and you know i remember my first time i was in a management position this was like 10 years ago i had a fire student mm -hmm. employee and it was wow yeah the first time it's tough you know you mm. don't know how to do it you don't know what your style is you, you can read all yeah. you want to and youtube everything mm -hmm. you want to but it sucks and then just doing it it still kind of sucks dude yeah. so yeah dude i just can't imagine i mean that's yeah so i mean i guess my next question for you what's this so in your leadership, I mean, is there a certain mm -hmm. style you to go to or do you just kind of yeah. situation or what, what, or how does it work? No, that's, no, that's a great question. Um, and so what, yeah, it's kind of funny how, you know, you have to find your own style, right? Like yeah. I, one, one expression I heard or read about in Inc. Magazine, this one owner talks about, you have to be like this, like velvet fist. So it's not iron fist. It's just covered in velvet so that you have some there. I don't, I don't, believe, I don't subscribe to that. Um, I guess the style that I use with my leadership is actually very introverted according to like the Berkman assessment, but I think it works for me simply because I patterned my own leadership after the pharmacists I learned leadership from uh, when I, you know, helped teach the, for the pharmacy nonprofit. And, you know, Michael Negretti is his name. I, I, I will sing his praises till the day I die because, you know, he modeled leadership for me. He basically provided the blueprint that I follow now uh, in terms of uh, effective leadership. And by that, the specific qualities I'll go into are number one, you're just fun to be around. 
right? People are just like, oh, Jerry's, you know, he's, he's got a bad temper. Oh, I don't want to be around this, right? Yeah. You're like, you got to, you have to have some warmth like to draw people in. Uh, number two, you're fun to learn from, right? People are always, you know, I'm always amazed at what Mike is learning. Uh, and I've actually borrowed like, you know, his, some of his book lists because I'm like, you know what, he's reading some really fun stuff. I'm going to read this too, just to see what he's learning. Um, third is that uh, you are relentless in improving. Like you don't beat, you don't beat anybody up over errors for too long. You don't dwell on mistakes overly long. You just learn from it and you keep moving forward. Um, other things uh, you're yeah, continuously con tinkering and, and, you know, experimenting and collaborating because that's what Mike would do for me. He says, Hey, you know, I'm working on this right now. What do you think of it? Like, and I realized quickly he was involving me, keeping me engaged. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. Um, you know, and there's no question how hard he works. Like work ethic is like, you know, set the tone well and not to enable people and then compensate for them by working harder for them instead of with them. Uh, but to make sure, Hey, you know what? I got to set the tone. And so that is my leadership style. Uh, I, there are some things I, you know, I put my own spin on things with these, but it doesn't change the fact that, yeah, these are, these are some of the qualities of my leadership style that I know are, are effective. And, you know, there's times you have to, there's a tough love aspect that they don't really tell you about how to get better at until you have to do it. Right. I remember, you know, when I had to fire a technician for the uh, first time, when I officially had to fire one, you know, she's pregnant and it was just like, Ugh, like you don't want to put you know this person in this difficulty at the same time uh you have to remind yourself hey you know what uh if she's not meeting the expectations the company will die and you know and so either either she loses her job or we both lose our jobs and um i think that was a big turning point for in terms of conflict resolution you realize the cost of not engaging and when you realize you can't afford to uh not engage that's what helps kind of move you forward yeah i agree 100 percent with you for sure mm -hmm. i mean yeah, if you just keep overlooking a problem and not actually attack it, yeah, it's just going to stay a problem. So it's either do something or mm -hmm. just if, just stay with the consequences, I guess, is the best way to put it. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, so when you were trying to be a pharmacist, or when you were, or you are a mm -hmm. pharmacist, but I mean, is that something yeah. you always wanted to do even when you were little? Or did you? No, I mean, well, no, I mean, as a kid, like, you know, you just want to be like an astronaut or something, yeah. right? Like something, you know, something far out there. And it was fun. I remember when my mom kind of planted the leading question, though, um, you know, because partly because I, I grew up around some other cousins who were very uh, successful by Asian standards, right? Um, both of them went to Harvard. Both of them became physicians. Like it, it was just a high bar to, to, set, <laughs> uh, to live up to. And I remember my mom being like, you know, you want to be a doctor, right? Like Freddie and Albert. And I'm just like, yeah, sure. Okay. And then, you know, so I guess, I guess I'll be pre-med, you know, cause yeah. I, I chose my major by process of elimination. It was just like, nope, suck at physics. I'm not, I'm, you know, essays. I'm not a fan of economics. Don't, I don't get, you know, uh, history now I you know anything involving like writing coherent essays not for me um, chemistry you know transition metals aren't, aren't something I'm excited about so yeah I can memorize a bunch of knowledge so I guess I'll be a biology major so makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah makes sense to me so did yeah. you do you enjoy that profession I mean even with COVID times and is it tough being in this position or that going that's no, a it's a it's a good thing to unpack so here's the here's what here's what uh the, here's the distinction i like to make for people okay i like being a pharmacist i don't like having to work as a pharmacist and so i'll, I'll elaborate on this 
um, I love the, the drug knowledge that I have. I love the medical knowledge and the, and the technical things that I can discern. You know, I can filter out drug commercials if people come to me with questions on like medical conditions. You know, I have some baseline knowledge. I can assess things, right? That is healthcare knowledge is useful knowledge. It mm -hmm. is. Um, but the pharmacy like work landscape has changed significantly since I graduated 16 years ago. And in that, um, you know, number one, a lot more schools have opened. Uh, a lot of, you know, universities say, hey, you know what, this is a good revenue stream. Like tuition is a good revenue stream for, especially if it's like a six year program. And so next thing you know, um, all these, like there's like 81 plus schools now that, that just keep pumping up pharmacists. So the market is much more saturated than what it used to be and salaries are going down. And you know, and the work environments, these companies realize, hey, we have leverage now, so we don't have to provide some of the bells and whistles that we used to in order to get you to sign with us. And we're just going to take someone that's more desperate than you are if you just refuse to work, right, on our terms. And um, yeah, so you have a lot of, you know, students who are scared to graduate because they have loans and they're not sure how they're going to pay them off because they don't have a job lined up. So, I, did, I didn't realize um, the market would be saturated with pharmacists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of what I'll say is there's a lot of selfish interests involved where people are just like, well, as long as I get my revenue stream, it's kind of like what happened with lawyers and law schools. They're just like, well, you know, it's not our fault if we, you know, pollute the waters because we're, you know, we're not, you know, we're just here to give them the degree. What happens to the job market when they get that degree is not entirely up to us. And for them to kind of wash their hands of that is kind of insulting. Um, but at the same time, they're like, well, we need them. We need the tuition money. So we're just going to sell them on the value of the degree, regardless of what kind of job prospects are out there uh, after they graduate. Jerry, what do you think about the American dream? I mean, you know, when <laughs> I was, when I was coming up, you know, it was always, you know, go to school, get decent grades, go to college. Mm -hmm. And then like you, mm -hmm. you, you just said, you will get your job that you want. You actually, you don't have to, you know, punch a clock or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's, that's kind of what the, uh, little quips that was taught to me growing up, but it's not that case anymore. I mean, just like you said that some students are afraid to graduate just because of their loans and mm -hmm. that when they graduate, what do they, what do they do with oneself? You know, I mean, you know, I, it's something that weighs heavy on my mind now is that because, you know, I went and got my master's degree too. And if it's sports mm -hmm. management, it's not pharmacy or anything big, big yeah. time, but still, I mean, it's just like you said that, you know, I guess you, you can get lucky and, I don't know if it's luck's the right word, but you know, you might get a job, but it also might not be the job that, you know, you don't want and hopefully might lead to something you want. But is, I guess my question is, it's probably a long question that do you think the American dream still exists? That's a good question. Um, and if by American dream, uh, you know, you, uh, you have the career and the family yeah, and the, traditional and the house in the suburbs thing. So here's the thing is, you know, uh, what led people to feel like, um, that that is the only definition of success uh, because yeah, do I believe that it's a, in a way? Yeah. Like, you know, you, you have a career, right. You're employed, someone's paying you, uh, you know, a salary. Um, you have some degree of, of a family interaction, which I believe it, you know, can be super sweet. you know, when you have a nucleus of a family to raise kids properly and, you know, have a, have a, you know, a set of relationships that's going to be there for each other. Um, you know, and you live in a, in a neighborhood that's relatively safe, right? You don't have to worry about, you know, um, you know, dangers or over, you know, anything excessively fatal, but you know, what I've, what my friends and I didn't realize until, you know, after we got these degrees, you know, is that 
uh, the myth that we bought into is that somehow we could just take our gloves off and hit cruise control after we got all these things, right? It's like, you get the degree, oh, I'm graduated, I'm done, oh, I'm getting married, or I'm, I'm having my, you know, first kid, and, you know, things like that. And you realize that it's just a different set of challenges. Um, and you're like, I thought, you know, I did everything my parents told me that they said would be successful. And yet I can't just coast now. Like, now I have to work on my career for another 20 years, right? I have to take care of a spouse who's going to ask me about my day when I'm super tired. I'm going to have kids that, you know, that's a 20 year investment, right? Of like, Hey, I got to make sure we have enough money to put food on the table and their college tuition costs and, you know, everything, all these, and, and then, you know, cyberbullying and all these other, you know, uh, other challenges that you have to deal with, you know, that you didn't think about because you were just focused on yourself. And now you have a set of relationships where you have no choice, but to, you know, put the others, put the needs of others in, in play with every decision you make. And I'm not saying this to like discourage or scare people. I just want people to be more prepared for the challenges that they're going to face if they feel like this is what they need in order to be successful. Um, you know, for me, success looks more like having enough passive income. So I don't have to, you know, be slave to a nine to five, you know, so I can actually, um, you know, invest in activities and relationships that are important to me, right? Uh, what if we don't have to have a nine to five job, and then we'd actually have more energy uh, for our, our spouse and kids if we choose to have them? Uh, you know, that's, that's what I'm hoping that we can, and even if you don't generate your own passive income stream, just to free up time and space and have margin in your life so that, again, you can do more of the things that you really find meaning in, right? Um, yeah. so yeah, if you want the American dream, I'm not one to judge you. Like I would just maybe challenge to say, you know, what led you to agree with that definition of success and, you know, how are you going to prepare for the challenges that we are all now acutely aware of? Yeah. No, I like what you said about success. Uh, I agree mm -hmm. with you right there just to have enough, you know, different <clears throat> streams of income just to mm -hmm. satisfy your needs and yeah. your wants and, you know, and it doesn't, you know, and I'm not a very materialistic person. I mean, I like nice things yeah. and. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe one day I'll be blessed with a 1966 Mustang and fully retro modded. But you know, I mean, but it doesn't mean everything in life. And I think that's yeah. where uh, some people get the confusion on what success means to them and mm -hmm. that they think they have to have the fancy stuff and the fancy cars and clothes. And that means, and it's almost just like a status symbol. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong mm -hmm. with that. I mean, yeah. that's your thing. I mean, whatever, but it's not yeah. you're like your definition of success might be different from you know, little Billy over here, whatever you want to say. But, um, uh, but you know, one thing that sticks with me is that I heard this quote one time and it's just like, it was basically, I, I might butcher it while I'm telling you, but the gist of it's it was okay. that, uh, you know, whenever you walk into a restaurant, all you really have mm -hmm. to do is just never worry about how much it's going to cost. You know, mm -hmm. everything else, yeah. in, everything else in life is just bullshit. <laughs> and I just, that's, I that's like, one benchmark for sure exactly yeah. and that's always that's been sticking with me for the past couple of years i was like man that's you know that's probably a you know a lifetime goal with me and just that mm -hmm. i just think it would be just so badass just walking to a restaurant and they, even the fanciest restaurants you know you could pay for everybody there if you wanted to and just that i guess that type of yeah. financial freedom so oh that'd be fun you know you go into this really nice steakhouse and you know what not just take care of your friends but you know you see those things on twitter where like these pro football players like bless the waiter with like a thousand dollar tip or something exactly. like that like exactly. i mean you want to you want to be generous right you want to be like i have an abundance of things i want to i want everyone around me in my circle of influence to enjoy it i think that's a noble thing yeah and i agree 100 percent. and 
it's kind of what segue me into my next thing I was just thinking about is that, you know, you know, I wanted to talk since we're on the success and American dream here is just, you know, you know, what gives you hope, Jerry? I mean, you know, mm. do you have hope? That's a great, great, great <laughs> question. In fact, of the 40 something podcasts I've done, I think that's the first time someone asked me, well, do you have hope? Because I'll admit, I mean, I was a cynic for, you know, quite some time. Like, I, you know, when I was in my mid twenties and I, you know, had this job I hated and, you know, my mom lined up a girl that, you know, she was great, but I wasn't interested in pursuing anything with her. Right. Wait, wait, I just wait your mom wanted, wanted, was trying to set you up and marry. Oh, person oh she absolutely. Up? Yeah. Oh. oh yeah. Like she had, yeah, she had a girl lined up. She had the job lined up. She had her own plan for my life. And here's the odd thing is the ironic thing is that, you know, I actually wanted a good job and I wanted to marry somebody, but not on her terms. And I was, that was that was tough to admit that we actually were more alike in that regard but um you know the way she approached solutions and her mentality on things like suffering and, and adversity uh were different than mine um you know she my mom uh you know she is she hates suffering she feels like you know like struggling is not a good thing um and so you know and i say this not to to undermine her or sound bitter but a lot of the way she raised me was she just didn't want me to struggle. And yeah, I can understand that, right? Sure. It's not yeah. fun when you have to, to, you know, eat, like if you, all you have on for breakfast is Bisquick because all you can afford is pancake mix, right? I mean, that's, that's not fun. But uh, I think about, you know, Mike Huckabee quote when he talked about growing up poor in Hope, Arkansas, and he talked about, you know, uh, when you're poor and there's food on the table, you eat everything because you don't know when you're going to get food again. And I thought to myself, you know, how many like picky kids, how many picky eaters would be, you know, eliminated if like they just realized, hey, you know what, if you don't like what you what's, what's on your plate, then, you know, I got nothing else for you. <laughs> you yeah, really, yeah, really. Um, but I say that, yeah, just because, you know, I struggled, you know, in my dating life to really get in, even get into a relationship for a long, long time. And so by the time I graduated, my mom just thought, hey, you know what? OK, let's just go ahead and line up all these external solutions for you. I got the job I know I, I know is best for you, even though she's worked an every day in her life for pharmacy. Um, you know, here's a here's a someone I vetted as a as a good candidate to be your wife. Um, you know, don't mess this up. Like, don't don't pass this chance up. And, um, you know, and I just didn't, and me avert of me, you know, being a version uh, having conflict aversion, right. I just didn't know how I'm supposed to confront my mom and tell her, no, like, I'm not happy with, you know, with, with what you're giving me. And even if it is good, like, I want these choices to be my own. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it was, uh, it was just a struggle just to get past that point. You know, when my parents had an idea of what, you know, struggling and suffering, like the story behind those things, as they say, oh, no, that means life is going well for you. When really, um, if we're honest, some of the moments we grew the most as people came from those struggles, yeah. right? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be where I am now, if I hadn't dealt with these challenges. And I think the turning point was to uh, be proactive in taking on those challenges, instead of like, trying to avoid them or wait for them to come to you. Um, you know, I'm not saying anyone has to go to like Afghanistan and just, you know, throw themselves on the front lines. Like I'm not, I'm, please don't think I'm advocating that, but um, I do think people uh, are not as intentional in their self-development as they, as they could be uh, to really make a life for themselves that they would actually be excited to live. Uh, so all that to answer your original question, uh, do I have hope? Yes. Um, do I, do I live it? Do I live my life? Like I have that hope? Um, you know, it's, that's a work in progress uh as, as the tactful answer i'd say i like that yeah yeah i agree i like that a lot so but, yeah. but I'll, 
kind of go a little bit back here though that yeah go ahead know, just like what you just said that a lot of people you know you've went through a different path of life than i have you know mm-hmm. and vice versa so yeah and, and these experiences you know make a person just like you said you you came out the person you are today from the experiences you had in your past life or your not your past mm-hmm. life but your you know previous days the previous chapters of my life there yeah. you go that's what i was trying to say yeah but we got you. you know and just you're talking about your parents you know trying to control you and you set your life up for yourself or the way they, I guess they envisioned it for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I had a little bit of that actually growing up and, it's like, and it was almost just because they wanted that set up for me. I was immediately just, it could have mm-hmm. been, you know, the world, they could have handed everything to me on a silver platter. I was like, no, just because y'all want that. It was just, I don't know if it was teenage backlash or whatever, and just mm-hmm. that whole story. But, mm-hmm. you know, and I, this is where I want to start talking about a little bit about, you know, the conflict stuff is that, but do you think, sure. is there, is there something that, there's ingrained in humans that they just love controlling other humans. Um, and, you know, and obviously, you know, some people agree with rules and they like, you know, they get along with authority, but other people have problems with authority and stuff like that. So, I mean, and, and that's where it seems to create attention. It creates the conflict. I mean, do you agree? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Oh yeah. I see it all the time. I see it in myself. And so I say this, not thinking that I'm exempt from this or anything, but I, you know, I think about a Ray Charles quote I read in an Esquire many years ago. And he talks about, He's like, I've, I've only encountered two kinds of people. Those who want to make you an exact clone of them or those who basically want to like make you like their puppet or a pawn that you, they can push around on their, on, on their chessboard. And you know, I've seen it plenty of times, whether it's with bad roommates um, or you know, bad sales pitches where people are trying to convince me to just to like buy this discount travel membership. <laughs> and I'm just like, you don't even have my interest in mind. Like you tell me these benefits that I'm supposed to get from this, but really this is about you closing the sale. This isn't about giving me something of value. <laughs> you, know? yeah, really. you say it is. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, yeah, I mean, my, you know, I think good parenting involves, you know, allowing kids to, you know, find their own path or training them, you know, yeah one hand to teach him to be responsible citizens in the world and at the same time like it's not your place to dictate what their occupation should be right like how's that going to work for you right. right um and so yeah i see it all the time with myself and you know whether my technicians are underperforming and you know even though i want good things for them uh to control them in a way that you know like even if even if i had that control like you know, would that be satisfactory? Would that be okay? And some people feel like, yeah, of course it is. Like I get to tell them what to do and they're going to do it. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, and so, yeah, all that to say, yeah, I see it all the time. And, uh, sometimes it's, you know, there's a time and place where controlling is good. Like, you know, a dictatorship where they mandate everyone get vaccinated is probably actually a good thing, (laughs) but very, very, very rarely. Uh, does that happen where you have a benevolent dictator that's actually going to use that level of autonomy uh, to elevate the, the the quality of life around them and not just use it for themselves, right? I mean, I'll go ahead and say it, right? China uh, is is you know is oppressing people for the sake of stability for the people in power, right? Mm-hmm. The people in power are saying, nope, we're going to make sure that no one can take over for us because we have a high pollutant lifestyle that we want to keep for ourselves and we don't want anyone taking it away from us right right yeah hmm kind of racked my brain on that one i was sitting here trying to think of some stuff hmm. sure man yeah, that, was, that was that was that was a little that was i didn't even think about you know the way you just your your metaphor on china right there but i guess you're you're mm-hmm. right obviously that's mm-hmm. just how it seems to be that, that there, how, do you think it's just the culture now that it's just from change from the previous 
I don't know, X amount of years. And this is just the new age of, you know, I think cause China's trying to be the new or wanting to be the new superpower. Yeah. I mean, well, here's the thing. They, they, this, this paradox that the more things change, the more they stay the same. And I say this because, you know, my parents are from Taiwan okay. and Taiwan is basically China just views Taiwan as like this disobedient kid. And so I remember back in like 97, you know, when, um, China was firing missiles into neutral space because they just basically wanted to bully Taiwan and intimidate them and scare them. And it happened again, just like a, like a month or two ago. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know what they're trying to accomplish by doing this because, you know, when China hosted the Olympics back in 2008, right, they wanted to, you know, bring this idea and image of, oh, look, you know, things are, are reforming, things are getting better but they aren't, <laughs> you know, like they still, you know, I won't even go into things like Doffer or, you know, you know, Myanmar and some of the other complicated okay. you know, neighbor relationships that they have there. Number one, I'm not entirely informed on them, but number two, I, I know enough to know, like they keep trying to think that somehow if they just present a good image, it's so Asian, like let's, let's <laughs> just, you know, keep the house clean for the guests. So the guests like us and they're willing to do this, but in-house, no, don't, like we're going to try to hide these things as best we can, even though we want control and power and things like that. So, you know, it all that to say, right, it doesn't justify the xenophobia that, you know, people over here have, have seen it, right? It's just like, no, like, just because there are a couple of oppressive, like, Chinese people doesn't mean that they're all going to be like that, yeah. right? But yeah. that's, but that's exactly what they did. They're like, well, we can't trust any of them. And it's like, okay, well, you know, um, I don't agree with that. But, uh, you know, it's your choice. If that's your belief, I can't. I'm not one to convince you otherwise. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Just because like, you said earlier, you know, you were working with crooked doctors at one point, I believe. And so, mm -hmm. and just yeah. like in every in every uh, profession, there's going to be bad. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll use doctors, bad doctors, but you're also going to find a doctor yeah. that who knows his stuff and who yeah. exactly is there to actually help people and not just doing it for the yeah. the greenbacks. Mm -hmm. So, yep. it's just a matter of finding those. Even you know, being a pharmacist too, there's some out there probably mm -hmm. just trying just to sell, you know. You know, whatever I guess, big farmer, whatever you want to call it, drug that they're mm -hmm. somebody's pushing yeah. on them, but they're or they're actually no, no, you know, they're actually knowing the person's like oh, that. Your body's not going to react well to this, mm -hmm. you know, said drug or whatever you want to call yeah. it. So it's yep. just a matter of finding those good people in life, you know. And this, yeah. and you might have it a few is. bad experiences, and that's I guess that's maybe just the way it goes, but hopefully not. Mm -hmm. But yeah. That's how it is, I guess. That's life's not fair, I guess, is what I'm just trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's, you know, we can go into the whole, well, how, it's more about how you respond because everybody deals with brokenness on some level, right? Like I, sometimes relationships, you have no control over, you know, who your neighbors are, right? Or like the, you're, you know, you, when your parents make friends with somebody and then they head over there and now you got, you're supposed to get along with their kids, yep. even though like, you know, they, they get actually little snots, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of like, uh, and I, yeah, I just remember just being really frustrated that some of the relationships that I had to deal with, you know, in high school or college or whatnot, um, the irony is that uh, the most difficult ones are the, not the ones that start off poorly, but the ones that were really good and then went south. Uh, like there was some kind of falling out, but you know, but all that to say, right. I mean, I think, yeah, just knowing that you're going to deal with this brokenness is more about, yeah, how do you show grace? How do you show forgiveness? How do you make sure like when a wave of life stress hits you, like you're going to be able to bob and stay above with it instead mm -hmm. of like it gets swept under. Um, because yeah, everyone deals with it. And I used to be, I used to have a really big sense of entitlement of, you know, I shouldn't have had to deal with this roommate. God, I shouldn't have to deal with this job situation. Um, but it's, it's more about, okay, you know, as I go through life, you know, what, 
you know, what, what gauges can I use to see if someone really is someone that can be a friend, you know, possibly a lifelong friend versus someone who's just kind of like a one-off and, you know, we just are here for a season or, you know, I quickly understand after one or two interactions, I need to keep my distance from this person uh, because they are going to be a toxic influence if I let them too close. Right. And you have to go through a couple of, I mean, it's okay to make mistakes in this regard. Just hopefully, you know, everyone's hoping they aren't fatal. Right. Um, you know, when it comes to like, Oh yeah, I cleaned out money or things like that. Like I, a quick example, just to amuse people. I remember when uh, my room, my ex roommate's fiance was like admonishing me to get online and get, get online to start dating and like fix that like singleness in my life or whatever. And it was hilarious because I told this to like one of the other employees I work with, I was just venting about her. And he goes, you know what happened to one of my friends when he got on eHarmony? Like he met a girl after a month, he gave her a key to her house and she cleaned him out. Oh like, shit. Yeah, like honey, classic honey pot. You're just kind of like, oh, I'm gonna draw this in, and then zoop, right when I get everything, I have access. I'm just gonna just take everything for myself, and oh, so, no. uh, you know, uh, be careful, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. tough, man. Yep, that sucks. I mean, yeah. I mean, how do you come back from that? I mean, that's just tough. Yeah. You know, you, you focus on the lesson and not the loss, right? Yeah. Like it's easy to talk about because we're just distanced from the situation, but it is, you yeah. know, on one hand, well, you know, she didn't kill you. So in some way, this will make you stronger, right? You probably, in a way, this could be the best thing that ever happened to you to wake up and realize, hey, you know what? Uh, I will never, you know, I will be much more discerning in the woman that I allowed to move in with me. <laughs> yeah. That person just had no idea that that was that girl's initial plan was just to clean him out. I mean, was she just a toxic yeah, no. person in general or? Like, I don't know. Could everybody, I mean, you know, they say love is blind. I mean, could everybody see that she was like, for a better word, a dumpster fire. And then just, but everyone, <laughs> but, but that, but that person was just, no, she's fine. You know, we're good. Don't worry about it. And then all of a sudden that one day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, she's playing the long game. That's what she's doing. She's <laughs> just like, how much just do I need to earn from him before? Like I, I get what I need. Yeah. And, you know, it is, it is kind of scary that people do play that game. So uh, yeah, it's just be careful. I mean, it's, well, it's, a lot of brokenness out there guys just well, be careful <laughs> so with being a conflict coach like your conflict yeah. resolution coach do you see a lot yeah. of clients who are afraid you know to get toxic or let leave or let go of toxic people in their lives i mean you know that's one thing i've kind of only outside looking in is that you know it could be a family member it could be a friend mm. or, or someone you know like you, yourself when you said that people were trying to take advantage of you at some of your mm. points in life i mean is that just an issue just people cannot is that a security blanket they just don't know how to let go of toxic people or no that's a great question i mean i think uh i think it's just more about yeah on one hand it is about toxic relationships because sometimes you can't just fire like you're you're like your aunt that you have to see every christmas right like you you can't just be like you're fired you know auntie jen like i i, I don't i don't i don't appreciate your opinions on what career i should take or the woman i should marry so therefore uh you know i'm blocking you online and please do not you know please do not call me again right like the that's just not going to go over well. Um, and even if you are securing yourself, that's just a lot of awkwardness every Christmas that you're going to have to deal with. Oh, yeah. um, I think for me, it's just thinking about my experiences and so the people around me, right? It's it's more about having the courage, uh, like a mix of courage and compassion to, you know, let's say you are dealing with a roommate who's a little sloppy with the dishes or, you know, they, they clear they, or they crowd out the laundry machine or things like that, right? And just to say, hey, look, you know, um, here's the standard that I'd like to hold myself to. And, you know, I believe is a good standard for everyone who lives here, you know, when, you know, 
wash your dishes after you're done or, you know, or, you know, keeping, making sure the laundry machine is not, you know, filled with your clothes once you, once they're dry, like to empty that out. Well, you know, are these things that you, you know, agree with? And then they can say something like, well, yeah, because like, no one would say no to that. Right. Unless, you know, like you, but, and then you can say something like, well, so, so, and this is what I've noticed, right. You know, can you tell, you know, maybe you had a bad day, you know, and you just didn't feel like washing the dishes, but, you know, can you tell me about, can you tell me a little more about these things? Right. Um, and so you actually take the time to learn, you know, maybe they did have a bad day or maybe they're just, you know, they never built that habit. Right. Cause they had an overprotective mom who'd wash the dishes for them and they just never realized, you know what? Uh, and so, so you develop that curiosity and that empathy and you say, well, okay, you know, and then you make a humble ask, right? You say, well, you know, well, and you get tell them, like, ask them, like, what would it take for you to be more diligent in cleaning your dishes, right? Not for my sake, but for your own, right? For now, this is a case of self-development as opposed to just like placating my preferences for, you know, and my expectations for you as a roommate, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I wish I'd had the courage to say these things to, you know, when I had difficult roommates, because I was just in a very conflict averse uh, mindset. And, you know, yeah, I just really wish I had someone to tell me, hey, this is how, here's a, here's a script for this conversation so that you can actually maybe get some results. You might fail, but, you know, he might not take it the way you want him to, but at least, hey, at least uh, he, you were honest and he knew exactly why you're upset with him instead of just like me just trying to bottle it in and just be like, well, I'm afraid if I say something, we're just going to, you know, this is going to escalate quickly. So you just said strengthen your mindset. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I know you said, I think we touched on it earlier that, you know, these experiences in your life has like kind of helped mm -hmm. strengthen your mindset, but is there anything else that you, you do outside of that as far as is there certain books? I mean, certain other, you know, I don't know, videos, I don't know, just anything meditation, does anything you do just to keep a strong mindset and does a conflict arises that you're ready to go? Yeah. You know, great question. Uh, I mean, some of the turning point resources for me uh, that really helped kind of, you know, help me refine my own personal approach to this was uh, one book uh, called Difficult Conversations. You just type in an Amazon, right? They, they got a good title. You're like, I don't know how to have difficult conversations. You just type in difficult conversations, done. Um, and they provide a good framework on, on how to, you know, how to negotiate or, you know, not even negotiate in sentence, just anytime you have some broken expectations. Um, another good book is The Four Conversations uh, by Jeff and Lori Ford. That's the one um, Michael had introduced to me talking about specifically closure conversations. And so this is like kind of like a script or an operating procedure whenever, you know, someone breaks a promise or things don't go as expected. And now if say things like, you know, don't let them off the hook, like follow through quickly, you know, don't let resentment build. Uh, because like, if you do not put out this fire quickly, it's just going to escalate. Um, and they talk about things like knowing what to apologize for, right? You say, Hey, I'm sorry, things didn't go as expected. You know, whether I, did not make my expectations clear. I didn't follow up enough to be sure that you were on track or I didn't provide the resources that you needed to get this job done. Um, you know, I'm sorry that somehow I, I might've failed you as a leader. Uh, so given that there is something wrong, you know, how can we work to reconcile? How can we make sure that we learn the important lessons and that we do our part as teammates to make sure this doesn't happen again? Um, and so, yeah, so those are things that, that, uh, help me, you know, kind of stay sharp with my conflict resolution skills. And I remind myself, right, what's the cost of not engaging? Um, you know, if am, am I content to just stay in my comfort zone and just overcompensate and get burnt out and resentful again? It's like, no, like, I'm, I'm not going to be productive. I'm not going to be focused. And I don't want this sitting on my mind. So let me do uh, the, the right and necessary thing. Find 10 seconds of courage to get that ball rolling. 
and just trust that even again, even if this conversation goes poorly, at least I spoke my mind. And so at least I can go home knowing that, Hey, you know what? At least I went down swinging. Right. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, you just keep fighting until you can't fight anymore. So yeah, do what you got to do. Um, so when dealing with this, I mean, do you, when, with other clients and stuff, do you think there's a huge problem with people? They don't want, like you kind of touched on earlier, they don't take responsibility for their own actions. It's always somebody else's fault. There's always an excuse why X problem is happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are your thoughts? What do you have? What do you experience? like, Oh, victim. That? Yeah. Victimhood is, you know, it's oh, actually really so. fun when it's yeah. never your fault. It's yeah. fun. You're just like yeah. traffic sucks. And you know, these people are jerks and you know, my teacher was unfair and, Cause I was that guy, right? I got to see an organic chemistry. And even though, you know, I, there were still think there were still circumstances that were unfair. I had to own up to the fact that, you know, I just, I, you know, I needed to put in more work. I should have asked for more help, but there were plenty of things I could have still done to mm-hmm. like try to salvage a better grade. Um, you know, and you know, when I initially like, I'll, I'll be, here's another situation that where I just got frustrated, right? Like, um, Basically, I'll out the two names of the companies that I was considering working for when I was uh, on the verge of graduating. Um, you know, I worked for Walmart Pharmacy uh, as an intern. I, I actually really liked the company. I liked the stability. You know, I liked the fact they didn't have a drive-through, and I was hoping uh, the super the supervisor would be willing to you know hire me. Meanwhile, you know, CVS had already uh, made an offer, and of course, my mom was immediately like you got to sign with them like yeah. you know we have friends who work for them i don't want you worrying about your job like you know dad had to as an immigrant like you need to take this job even though i knew like i wasn't i wouldn't be happy working for cbs but um you know i waited like three months for walmart uh to finally make an offer and of course not of course just my luck the day after i finally take the cbs off like my walmart supervisor calls it's like hey so yeah can we talk about how and i and you know my mom was like well that's all his fault you know he <laughs> should have you know da 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 and i'm sitting there thinking oh like why didn't i just wait it out for myself like why wasn't i more proactive in getting him on the phone right like in hindsight it would have been like hey brad you know cvs is already making me an offer like and it's binding like if i sign this and i want to work for you and i'm not sure if i'm going to because you know, like there's a lot of pressure for me to sign with them right sure. now, right? You know, get them on the phone, do a little more, rattle the cage a little harder, you know, just to be like, hey, man, I really want to work for you. Like what you got for me, right? Um, and so, yeah, when I, it, it took me until like my mid thirties though, until I finally start to, you know, own up to the, because here's the problem, right? Um, the problem I didn't want to admit to myself was that I realized that if I owned up to my decisions, then I, then I have to own up to the fact that I made a mistake. And then like, I made a, if I made a mistake and I beat myself up, I'm like, oh God, like I was so stupid, you know, as opposed to just being able to separate that and say, Hey, you know what? That sucked. And as long as I'm still alive, like I still have a chance to do something great. Um, You know, this does not define me unless I let it. Um, And so, yeah, victimhood, you know, I think about a guy I knew at, at the church I used to go to, you know, he would complain about being lonely and single. And then we would ask him, well, when are you going to ask out a girl and say, well, you know, you're not supposed to, you know, I don't want to like, you know, tread, mm-hmm. uh, hit any tripwires with any relationships, in my immediate circle. I would have just respected him more if he just said, I hate rejection and conflict. Really? Like just admit these yeah. things instead of saying, Everybody oh, does. no, yeah. I'm helpless. Like maybe God's keeping me single and I can't get anywhere. And mm. I'm just thinking, well, you know, whether I believe you or, you know, agree with you, you know, how helpful is that? Right. So. 
I mean, what do you do with that? <laughs> what do you, exactly? What do you do with that? You know, yeah. One thing you just kind of just touched on a little bit there that I recently read. Uh, you know, your Texas guy, Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights. Oh, nice. Yeah, and so and basically, it's a book you know regarding his whole life. And talk mm-hmm. about how he got to each, you know, job or acting job and what experience he went through and whatever. But the mm-hmm. gist of the book is like he was looking for opportunities and he, which he would call a green light. And it mm-hmm. stuck with me that, you know, say if you had somebody, all right, so we'll use dating as an example. You you know, you have a chance mm-hmm. to ask out a person, like she's giving you every sign, every hint that mm-hmm. like, right here it is, but mm-hmm. you choose not to and you close mm-hmm. the door and you go home or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you yeah. got to look, you got to be aware of those green lights now like hey this is your opportunity and then yeah rejection sucks you know we've all, mm-hmm. i've been rejected and it sucks i hate yeah. it and i don't wish it yeah. on anybody but mm-hmm. you know and kind of what we've been saying this whole podcast so you know you learn from your mistakes and then and if mm-hmm. it is a mistake and then it changes you and then maybe you learn something for to do different the next time and then maybe you mm-hmm. do find the right one maybe she was just yeah. trash and you didn't need her in your life anyway but yeah but yeah that's just one book that sticks sticks with me uh nowadays is that just yeah all right Look for these opportunities, and then if you see an opportunity, go after it. Don't be afraid, you know, worry about the whatever later, you know. It could be yeah. one of the best things. It might be the worst thing, but, you know, just if you want to get somewhere in life, you got to take action. Yeah, that's a, that's a good reminder for sure. And, you know, it rejects to hurts. Uh, we're not going to deny that. And at the same time, exactly. you know, as a, you know, being in a management position, you realize, like, you have to say no, right? Because, I shouldn't just give a job to someone just because they applied. Right. right. I can't, I, you know, we had like 20 applicants for a technician position at one point. Like I can't take them all. Like I have to say no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you realize, no, there's when you can have a little degree of empathy to realize, Hey, like, I mean, even applying to podcasts, right. There are people who are kind enough to say, Hey, I love your pitch. I love your story. And I don't think it's the right fit for us. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to have you on my show. And, you know, but they took the, they took the time to still give me a compliment, which kind of eased the blow a little bit, but then, you know, and then that's okay. And that's okay. Right. I, I realized that like, my story is not meant for every podcast, right. But the ones that I felt were a good match and they just said no, for whatever reason, I'm just like, ah, you know, yeah. uh, but maybe they're overbooked and, and people have told me that they're like, you know, I don't have any space. I'm, you know, you have a great story. And at the same time, you know, the ones that are nice, will say, well, you know, message me in like six months and we'll see where we are. Uh, you know, that's, those are, those, those are the ones that are civil and professional. At least they give me, at least they just, it's not, it's not a no a flat out. It's just a not now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, again, you know, I, the nice thing with a no, it means I get to move on. Yeah. Right. And it's just like, Oh, you know what? I don't have to dwell on this anymore. I can just go on to the next one. It's okay. Exactly. You move on. So, yeah. so let's talk about, so the, the conflict resolution coach. So how does it work? So if I'm having, say I'm a client. Mm-hmm. And I'm having, I don't know, issue with, we, you talked about a roommate earlier. I'm having okay. an issue. Would I just seek you out and then just say, hey, I need some consulting or tell me how, how tell it's me a, how it works. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great, you know, how do you onboard people, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, basically, you know, uh, easiest way if you want, just, you know, I have a website, you know, adaptingleaders.com. Okay. Uh, you can schedule a complimentary 30 minute call. And so if that's all you need, you know, no strings attached, if that's all you need to really kind of help process your situation and then you're off to the races, great. Um, If you're dealing with multiple layers of conflict where it's just like, hey, you know, I I don't know what I even want out of life or, you know, my my parents' expectations are just really weighing on me or, you know, I have a boss that's just temperamental and passive aggressive and I don't know how to handle, like, you know, I don't know how to have a good working relationship with them. Uh, then, yeah, there's some more specific modules, but yeah, just, yeah, easiest way, hey, just get me on the phone and we can talk through some things. And so, you know, a typical, 
um, call like that would, I would just ask you a couple, you know, key questions around mm. areas that I'd like to shed some light on, right? To just ask yourself, you know, things like, you know, what's the story behind this conflict, right? Let's say you do have a boss that's temperamental and you're just like, well, what's the story? Yeah. Uh, well, the story I'm telling myself is, you know, yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, he's just looking for excuses to fire me, you know, and I really don't like, you know, walking in the eggshells every time I go into work. And they'll ask you something like this. So what's the real challenge for you? You know, what's the real challenge here for you? And they'll say something like, well, you know, I think the real challenge is, um, you know, I need to be able to uh, have that, find the courage in order to, you know, sort out expectations with them, right? I really want to have a conversation where we can figure out what a good relationship would, would involve and look like and what kind of work that would take. It's like, and then I would say something like this, um, what's your next action? what's your next action? And then say, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe tomorrow, I, I, you know, I ask him when he has like 15 minutes or 30 minutes available where we can sort things out. And then, you know, and if that's enough for you, great. And if you say, no, I want more of this and you say, okay, well, you know, here's my rate. Um, you know, I'll follow up with an invoice if you're excited about it. So that's pretty much it. So you just keep going with the, uh, until the problem actually gets solved. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, yeah, whether whether we solve it in 30 minutes, or if they want to invest in a more long term, you know, investment in coaching. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm one of the few people I'll actively say I'm trying to work myself out of a job, Chris, like, if you <laughs> if you, if you've been with me for two years, you should fire me because I clearly <laughs> haven't helped you long enough. Oh. Uh, typical coaching engagements can range from like six months to a year. Okay. Uh, I have I have modules that can be that are meant to like last like maybe three months, you know, I give you some material, like some work just to work through, uh, jot, in, jot down your thoughts with some pointed questions. And then, you know, a coaching call every month or something like that for three months and see if that's enough to get you, you know, uh, get your own wings and kind of fly on your own. Right. Uh, we want people who are strong enough because, uh, if I'm doing a good job for you guys, then, you know, ideally you'd give me referrals and say, Hey, Jerry actually helped me get better. Like, yeah. like go to him. Right. So, yeah. Is there a, is there an ideal person you, like you actually look for into working with, or is it just kind of just whoever comes your way or? That's a great question. Uh, so uh, the ideal client is uh, Asian professionals or Asian American professionals in their late twenties, uh, mid to late twenties or early thirties. And I say this because um, that's the age that I wish I'd had more guidance when it came to life decisions and success and things like that. Right. Cause at that age, usually most of the Asians are like, okay, well I did everything my mom and dad told me to do. And yet somehow I'm still not happy. Like I have a nine to like, you know, an accountant, right. He's like, I got a great nine to five job. You know, I got my nights and weekends to myself and yet I'm not, I don't feel like I'm being challenged enough. Like what's it going to take. Right. Um, or it's like, people are like, Oh, I'm single. And you know, like, and I, I just feel lonely. Like, how do I deal with this? Right. Or even worse, people are like, I'm married with kids and I still feel lonely. Like, I don't, you know, I thought this would be, this would be enough to satisfy me. And yet I've realized there's just a whole lot of work that I'm not, uh, you know, I'm struggling to maintain, uh, you know, good relationships and, you know, life stress and, you know, things like that. Um, yeah. So ideally, yeah. People in this age range, really, they start to have, they start to notice this cognitive dissonance between what their parents are telling them and then the world they're living in. And so it's like, hey, maybe I need a guide to help me sort this out. So, um, you know, I wish that's what I had. So that's that's kind of what I want to help with. I want to ask this question at that. Um, Go ahead. If I mess it up or anything, just let me know. It's okay. So if, but if, I said, I'm just not well informed. So is Asian culture, like is parents usually telling their children on how they want their lives predominantly just 
you know, is that predominantly in Asian culture or is it? That's a great question. No, thank you for asking that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, with Asian culture, it's uh, it's what's called an honor shame culture, right? You do things that bring honor to the family and you avoid things that bring shame on the family. Um, And honor, they define as, you know, get good grades, you know, learn a musical instrument, go to a good school, uh, marry a, a pretty and smart woman, like, you know, have kids that will also have get good grades, go to a nice school, get a nice job, start their own families, yeah. right? To do what? Get married, you know, have a job, start a family. And yeah, you know, you want to, you know, propagate the family name, you know, like success means having you know, lots of, you know, grandkids that all carry your surname because, uh, you know, China went through a, a pretty rough phase with their one child policy because um, if, if, you know, couples had a daughter, like they, or they knew they were going to have a daughter, like, you know, there are a lot, a bunch of abortions because they're like, well, they're not going to carry on the family name if they get married. So, yeah. you know, therefore we don't want this one kid. We want to, we want to, we want a son. Right. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of it is, I remember thinking about my life, right. Just, I remember my dad would, um, you know, we spent a lot of time doing SAT prep books on Saturday mornings, you know, and I get it. Like, I don't have to watch cartoons like all the time. Those are probably toxic, but you know, at the same time, you know, it's not fun telling people, yeah, how did you spend your Saturday morning? Oh, uh, you know, did you have like a nice family brunch? It's like, no, I did uh, algebra two problems because that was what my dad wanted me to work on. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of it is just, Hey, work hard, work hard. And they withhold their affections because they feel like if they if you if they give you too much assurance that you're just going to get complacent and not work harder at it, um, and so I'll admit, you know, I resented the process until I started winning like math competitions and stuff like that, and then you're just like, you know what, I like the success, but then you're so emotionally scarred to the point where you become an approval addict, and now you're saying yes and subjecting yourself to you know, validation that is unhealthy, right? Because you're just like, well, I want people to like me. I like this success. So what do I need to do to keep getting this approval? Um, and then that, you know, that can have, you have to take several years to unlearn that. You know, I've always wondered that just because, you know, it seems like in movies and TV that that's almost the cultural narrative that's actually portrayed in mm-hmm. certain movies. And I've always wondered, you know, is that just part of Asian culture that they expect, the, you know, a certain standard of their, you know, children, but I mean, and I'm not saying I'm saying no family should not do that or whatever, but, mm-hmm. but it just seems more portrayed in, in that type of culture. And I was just like, Hmm, I just, maybe that's just how, you know, it's just expected of them. I just didn't realize it. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, and this true for a lot of any honor there's plenty because Asians are not the only honor shame culture out there, right? Like there's plenty of middle Eastern people that prescribe to the same formula. Yeah. Um, and so it's obviously just more magnified because that's what I grew up with. But yeah, I mean, if you want a more of a window, yeah, just, you know, watch or read Joy Luck Club and, you know, or some other, you know, things that are, give a window into kind of the, the day-to-day for this kind of culture, for sure. Yeah. You know, you just said, yeah. you said something a little bit ago right before I asked that question, but that, you know, a lot of people have regrets and we're all, and we're, I do myself and that, you know, yeah. we're always looking back on our younger years and just wondering like, oh, I should have did that different. And I wish I would have known that then and stuff like that. I mean, is there anything going through your life experiences and your story that you wish you could, you know, get in the, uh, the DeLorean and go back in time and tell you, <laughs> go tell your younger self. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I, you have to be careful that you don't get consumed with that because yeah, like you can't, I, I, I think a good book for everyone to go through is designing your life. And one of the best phrases from that book says, don't spend your future hoping for a better past. Um, and I keep that in mind every day when I just wake up and I'm like, I wish I didn't have some of these wounds. 
Uh, but you know what? If I'm alive, I can still do something like productive today. I can still design a life worth living today, right? I can still do something if I'm intentional to do that. But yeah, if I had to go back in time to tell my younger self, I would be like, hey, if uh, if your roommate's you know doing bad things, like it's okay to tell them. Like don't have you don't have to withhold things. Be tactful, but be intentional, right? And just be okay with the fact that, you know, things might get worse before they get better. Like, I wish I'd just done that. Or, you know, I'd also tell myself, hey, remember, whatever you decide is your decision, right? You can say no to things. It's, and people, it's okay for people to disagree with you yeah. uh, just because they don't think you should say no. Um, you know, be okay with the fact that not everyone's going to like you, right? It's okay if they don't like you. And if they get more upset with you because you said no, then it's all the more reason to, to validate that no is the right answer, right? Um, yeah. And look out for anyone who's overly pushy. Like if they're, if they're pushy, it's not loving. <laughs> even, even if it's your parents being all pushy, that's, that's not loving. That's a control thing. So anyway. You know, no is a very powerful word and something that I've mm -hmm. learned throughout, you know, jobs and friendships mm -hmm. and, you know, just yeah. all around experiences that it's mm -hmm. a very powerful word. And some people, you know, over, you know, sleep on it, I guess is a way to put it that because you think that you know you're trying to be the good guy and stay away from confrontation that you have to say yes but then you just make yourself miserable but if you can learn to say no at some certain major points in your life that you know it helps out you know helps your mental health especially for me you know in my experience yeah yeah so yeah. yeah you're saying no to something and that's another great opportunity cost question right you're saying well if i'm saying yes to this opportunity what am i saying no to right i'll give an example so at one point you know i was helping out with this elementary school math competition it was, a, it was just a fun chance to volunteer and i actually really enjoyed doing it uh and then the next year came around and they say hey you know we need volunteers for this you know uh competition again and i had to ask myself well if i agree to do this on a saturday morning what am i actually saying no to like what else could i be doing with my time I could be sleeping, I could be reading a book, I could be you know, working on this business plan for this business I'm helping to launch. And it's like, oh, I'm going to have to say no to this. As much as I would like to be there, I'm going to have to say no because there are other things I'd rather be doing or more important things I need to be doing, right? Um, and when you embrace that, right? Because the, the problem is not when you, whether you have to discern between good and bad because anybody with a moral compass can do that. It's when you have to choose between the good and the great right yeah um you know so two things that you know i have to choose between all the time like people say hey jerry we're gonna have a jam session bring your guitar or you know hey you know dynamo are playing like let's go to a soccer game and i'll be like but there's salsa dancing on saturday nights and it's like i'm gonna choose salsa dancing pretty much every time because like if you yeah i love you know guitar is fun and you know soccer games are fun but if you have if you have to choose between those salsa dancing and I'd say yes to salsa dancing just about every time. So, yep, hard to admit, but it's true. Hey, I want to I want to talk to you about salsa, salsa dancing. Yeah, go for it. Man. <laughs> but yeah. but uh, I had another question right before you said. Yeah, salsa go ahead. Um, we got time. Okay, good. Yeah, we're good. We got it good. Um, so uh, so somebody asked me this, and it may have been a couple of weeks ago, maybe in a month ago. But so mm -hmm. you know, obviously, no amount of money ever bought another second of time, or not that I'm aware of. And mm -hmm. so. Oh. Yeah, if you had an extra hour out for in your day, how how would you spend it? Oh, great, great question. I'm gonna have to borrow that one for later. Um, honestly, I, I could just I use more it from sleep. Tony Stark, by the way. So, anyway, my... <laughs> no, that's cool. I mean, yeah. I would just, I would just, I would just get an extra hour of sleep. I'd just be like, you oh. know what? I just, yeah, you know, or just I would just use that time to recharge. Whether it's like reading a book or meditating, 
or, you know, just being able to just, you know, take it easy, right? Just, you know, enjoy a nice cup of coffee and a sunrise in the morning, right? Just be Ooh. like, you know what? I could put my, my day on pause for an hour. Yeah, like I'm, I'm just going to sit and enjoy myself, you know, with things that I normally have to speed through. Um, you know, just a, a quick tangent, right? Like when COVID shut everything down, I had, I wasn't cooking to enjoy a meal. I was just cooking because I just needed something to cook, right? You know, I'd crock pot things and that was nice. It was efficient, but I wasn't taking time to really savor a meal. Oh yeah. And so when COVID shut everything down, I realized on Sunday mornings, instead of going to the gym, you know, I would go on a walk through the neighborhood. I'd come home, I'd make myself a spinach and tomato egg scramble. Okay. And, you know, it's, I'd cover it with pepper jack, shredded, shredded pepper jack cheese, and I could just sit and enjoy it. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> that sounds nice, man. Sounds like you eat pretty yeah. clean, though, too. I have to. Um, a, a story I've not shared in any podcast right now. So this is like, you know, exclusive content for you, Chris. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, well, so, yeah, I mean, normally, like, um yeah i mean i i've worked out since college and so that was when i started getting serious about just like getting in shape and it was nice but i also had a lot of help like because my mom was a great cook when i lived at home you know while i was still in tennessee uh but when i moved to houston 11 years ago all of a sudden that support network was not there and you know i grew from it but uh i also went through some rough patches and the rough patch i'm going to mention here guys no one wants to believe me because i'm so skinny now um i actually gained 35 pounds like living in houston the first like three or four months i was there because i was eating out two or three times a week that i hadn't been before uh the friend initially i, I live with is a is a chef and um he's a great chef but he wasn't entirely cooking healthy things like entirely healthy things at the time and so when i gained this weight i told the gym that i was joining i was saying no something's wrong with your scale and they're like no the scale is not the problem <laughs> and so i quickly realized okay i gotta cook more of my own food i'm gonna start attending my friend's free boot camp in the park and uh, it wasn't until i ran my first half trained for my first half marathon that uh, i started getting my waistline back down to what i was used to um so yeah it's uh yeah, I, uh, the irony, right? And we talk about enabling people pretty much over the course of this whole hour, right? In a way, indirectly. Um, my mom always wanted me to learn how to cook, but I never learned to cook anything meaningful until I stopped relying on her help. Um, and so when I finally lived by myself and I was just like, okay, I want to get to a point where I can actually enjoy the food that I'm cooking for myself. Uh, you know, took sure. some work, took some sure. experimentation, but uh, eventually, yeah, now I, now I get to, the fun thing when you become a good cook you meet a lot of other good cooks like rich get richer like it's oh, just yeah. amazing how many more people start to talk about like recipes and you start to experiment and that uh, you're all you know cooking for each other and it's fun anyway that's the fun tangent but yeah that's one of those exclusives where people realize you know what uh i didn't i wouldn't have expected that about him and i'm just like well the story is true whether you believe it or not yeah but just you know hopefully you get some useful nuggets from that <laughs> uh, I, I didn't expect you to be a runner too though i mean how, how long have you been running or is that just oh uh, yeah that was that phase ended uh seven years ago so oh, okay. that's a fun okay. journey too. okay okay but i mean i could share this i mean because i didn't do any serious long distance running until i was 30 like uh we had the chance to meet Susie favor hamilton at uh, one of the leadership conferences that i went to and yeah. so we ran, ended up running basically a 5k with her um and so the following spring uh there's a charity uh a 5k for what was sudan at the time which is now south sudan uh, and so that was the second time that I didn't even want to time myself, Chris, because I'm just kind of like, oh, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to time. I don't want to fail. I don't want to look bad. It's like, no, that's that. ridiculous. Um, yeah, the, uh, the culmination of all that running, uh, did, yeah, I did a half marathon in the woodlands, uh, back in 2012. 
did the full new Orleans rock and roll marathon in 2014. And then I said, Nope, the novelty's done. Like, I don't want to do this again. <laughs> like I was, I enjoyed being in running shape. That was probably the best shape I'd been in uh, for you know, a long time, but um, I get more fun, just uh, more cardio, just dancing a whole lot. So that's, that's my fitness for right now. Yeah. So what's up with the salsa dancing? How did this come about though? This, oh man. This, this yeah. Great. Fun. Yeah. Oh, great journey for sure. Um, <laughs> So yeah, freshman year in college, they have a spring formal and uh, they tried to introduce salsa dancing to us. And Chris, the lesson was terrible. Like they taught us a couple of things. We're bored. It's frustrating. We're like, okay, no. And I, again, fixed mindset where I'm just like, oh, well, if I'm not good after, good at this after two or three passes, I'm just not going to, I'm just, it will never be good at it. Right. Just the pessimism uh, was very prevalent at that point. And so what's funny is in, when I got to Memphis for pharmacy school, um, a friend of a friend was apparently starting up a salsa dancing scene in Memphis. And so uh, by my third year in school, my grades had kind of gelled. And so, you know, I just got sick of studying. I was like, well, if I can kind of, you know, not study so much, but not like take my GPA won't take a really big dip, then I'm just going to go and get a study break and sign up for some lessons and do it for real. Uh, and then I actually kind of got good at it and I really started to enjoy myself. Uh, but then I graduated and I moved to Knoxville uh, which has no salsa scene. Like they have a swing dance scene, but I, by now I was hooked on salsa. And so I went through this really bad cycle of like rust and lack of confidence. And then like, I miss it, but then I'm rusty. And then, you know, so I get glimmers of dancing and, you know, but it just stayed dormant for a long time. And even after I moved back to Houston 11 years ago, uh, the initial crowd I, I started to hang out and spend a lot of time with was all into two-stepping. And so I was... Huh. dancing more which so it still helped but i yeah but salsa stayed dormant but uh what i love telling people is that seven years ago um you know a venezuelan friend invited me to a free salsa event down in downtown houston and i said you know all it took was one skilled pretty blonde and i said i gotta bring my a game when i dance with her <laughs> and it was like everything just kind of unlocked where it's just like i stayed on point you know, I had, I didn't go, my mind didn't go blank trying to think of moves to dance to or dance to use or anything like that. And I finished the dance and I said, oh my gosh, like, why did I stay away from this for so long? And then I said, okay, I'm back. Like, I got to make this a regular thing again. And um, yeah, it's just been beautiful to watch because I, I help out as a volunteer instructor now with one of the local college uh, clubs at my alma mater. And um and even uh, even with other dancer friends, we'll use dance lessons as a vehicle to raise money and awareness for for groups that, you know, we uh, for causes that we believe in. And so it's just fun to elevate the playing field. And so on out. now it's not, it's not just, oh, wow, Jerry's a good dancer. It is. Jerry helped me become a better dancer. Yeah, I get to do that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been fun to just yeah watch everyone grow uh, from our efforts to share and this love for dancing. Is it it's also easy to pick up, so to speak? Uh, or is it very coordinated or no, I mean it I'll I'll tell people it probably you know it helps if you have like a musical background and so you kind of have some level of coordination but uh it does take some I mean it took me like about a year before I finally felt comfortable leading okay. so I'll be happy to tell people even though I grew up playing piano and violin and all these things like just to understand the frame of the dance and 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 how to navigate uh how to navigate the dance as you learn to like the, the correct footwork and stuff. It can take a bit, but if you're willing to, you know, really, it's more about, it's, it's kind of like what James Clear says in Atomic Habits. It's not about time. It's more about repetitions, right? So if you spend six months, like really intensely trying to get the footwork and fundamentals down, 
uh, you probably learn more than someone who just kind of passively attends a lesson once a week for like two semesters. That makes right. Sense. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you, if you really put in work, yeah, if you, you could probably get the hang of it in like six months or so. Six months. Yeah. You know, oh. I'll, I'll be happy to help you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, you know I've always, money back, right. Money back guarantee. <laughs> I've always you know, watched movies and stuff like that. And that's when uh, if you see salsa dance, it's like, man, that looks fun. So, yeah. I mean, I don't have a oh, great. really have a dancing background anyway, but it just, it's okay. Some of that stuff when I'm watching all movies and stuff, it's like, it just looks fun, you know? Just you got yeah. the music going, and like you said, a beautiful blonde. And it's yeah. like, yeah, man, I'm getting down with yeah. it. Yeah. But- absolutely no you know try it out like i tell people just you know just look just try it for six months there's i'm sure you have groupons that are super cheap you know it's like the cost it's a barrier to entry is very low at this point like you have youtube clips that i never had when i was trying to learn how to dance it's like you have so many more resources uh to study music and and other things and so yeah just you know try it out for a couple months and you say you know what you know after six months if i put in if i feel like i put in enough work i'm still not really getting it or i just feel like it's just not worth my time anymore then yeah just cut it off Otherwise, you know, and even if that's the case, like it's still a success because you challenge yourself with something new, right? And now you have appreciation yeah. for a new skill and, and you have a dimension, a new perspective that you wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, because now when you see dancers, you're just like you can figure out, oh, okay, that one's a novice. This one is an experienced dancer. Right now you can see the world a little differently because of your experience, because you decide to immerse yourself in it, right? Yeah, for sure. Is uh, yeah. salsa dancing the only type you do or... Or do you got uh, no, it's, it's a good question. So the three types that I really uh, kind of have the strongest background in uh, the first is East Coast Swing. That was my first love. Like I love old big band music, uh, you know, or even not so old band music, like Big Bad Voodoo Daddies, you know, that's fun music, right? Like, you know, um, but uh, the second would be salsa. And then the third would be, yeah, two-stepping. Um, sadly enough, one of the one of the bastions of country dancing here in Houston called Wild West that actually closed during the pandemic. But um, yeah, I mean, so those are the three styles I can, I can help people uh, get the hang of, but those are all my strongest uh, kinds of dancing. Nice. Nice. Well, Jerry, you've been a cool dude, man. I appreciate you coming on here telling me your story, man. This has been fun. Uh, I say we take it home on a good note. So sure, man. Um, Oh, um, go ahead. Yeah, so if anybody wants to find you, look you up. I know you thought you said your website earlier, but this is your time to sure, say it again yeah. and, um, and anything. Yeah, anything I'll, you want to I'll say. I'll sum it up for him. Yeah, I'll sum it up for you. Yeah, just uh, check out adaptingleaders.com. Got some, you know, fun free stuff on there, whether you get a you can download a guide on how to navigate difficult conversations, schedule a complimentary 30-minute call, or just check out my book blog where I summarize and give takeaways on interesting literature. Uh, by all means, just find me or find me on LinkedIn and just connect there. Uh, yeah, just happy to, to, you know, share my story and see if people uh, would be encouraged or inspired to, you know, yeah, strike out and do something different uh, with their lives after hearing my story, for sure. Great, great. Hey, you said something about that Atomic Habits book. Is that, is that good? Yeah. I got yeah, yeah. Atomic Habits. List. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, James Clear, uh, he talks about the four aspects of, of really uh, building uh, a habit that you want to stick with. Uh, that's to make it, you know, obvious, attractive. Um, I'm going to flunk this test, you know, obvious, attractive, easy, and satisfying. There we go. And, and so the flip side to uh, break a bad habit uh, is basically like you flip those four on their heads. And so you say, okay, you make it hidden, you make it difficult, right? You make it, um, you make it, uh, let's see, obvious, attractive, easy. Yeah, you make it unattractive and you make it unsatisfying, right? Um, and so if you 
And if you hit all those four things, like you say, hey, I want to journal in the morning. It's like, okay, make it obvious. All right. How do I make it obvious? Put the notebook, you know, next to my phone in the morning when my alarm goes off, right? Make it easy. Hey, just write two or three sentences. You don't have to write a whole paragraph. Just make it, just do that, right? Uh, make it attractive. You know, do I get myself a reward? You know, do I get to, you know, uh, watch watch my favorite Netflix show after reading this, right? And then what, how do I make it satisfying? It's like, okay, you know, how do I, or yeah, you you involve a, a other people that are are holding you to this habit. To say, hey guys, I I journaled today, and they can all say, hey, way to go, right? And so now you have like all this reinforcement, helping you move forward with building a, a simple helpful habit. Great, great, yeah. Let's we'll let's take it home on that one. I like that. So, sure, man. Yeah, this was fun, man. I appreciate you doing this again. This was awesome. Hey, so. glad to meet you, Chris. I'm so glad uh, you gave me a a chance to, to get to know you through your podcast and yeah, whatever, whatever we can do to support each other going forward, please let me know. I agree. Uh, happy to stay in touch. I agree a hundred percent. All right, everyone, yeah. we're out of here. Uh, good night. We're going good. News right. and good, good night. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park